I could maybe remember who I talked to, but I couldn't have any idea what we talked about. And man, that's a scary reality. As you well know, I mean, you're just, you know, you're second guessing yourself. And I think that similar to addiction, it's scary to open up your mouth when those things are happening because you don't want to feel like the athlete who has a chink in his armor. Hey guys, this is retired NFL linebacker David Babora, founder and CEO of the Adaptive Training Foundation. You're tuned in to the Heads and Tails podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Salm, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Hey, David, how's it going? It's great. Is this Kevin? Yeah, this is Kevin. Kevin, so good to meet you, brother. Nice to meet you, too. I've been watching all your videos and reading your Players' Tribune articles, and it's super awesome stuff you're doing. Man, I was just stoked to read about Heads and Tails and your story and all the light that you shine into this world, man. I commend that. Thanks. I'm excited to have you on here. I, I saw that on Instagram that you lost your grandmother today, and I, I, I'm sorry for that. Is this still a good time, or you want to push it back? No, it is. It's a good time. You know, my grandma, God rest her soul, is, is an incredible human and is tough as losing someone is. I believe that death is a lesson to us in, in the way that we live every day, right? Like those that are still having air in their lungs, I think that, that the message is, you know, for us to live in such a way that we realize how, how fragile life is. And, and yeah. you know what, man, she was tired. It was her time. And she even got to watch the Cubs win a World Series before it was all said and done. Awesome. Was she a Cubs fan? She was. My dad was actually born in Chicago, so uh, he was with her last night. I just got back from Oregon. I had the blessing of spending her a few final days with her. Uh, but, you know, he said she smiled and looked at him and, and mentioned that she couldn't wait another 108 years, and, and he oh. chuckled. <laughs> well, awesome. I'm glad you're, you're still looking at it in a, a positive way. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week, I'm talking with David Vabora. Um, he's a retired NFL linebacker who was drafted by the Rams as the last pick, a.k.a. Mr. Irrelevant, in the 2008 draft. Um, David then became the first Mr. Irrelevant to start a game in over a decade, uh, which is a feat that says a ton about his work ethic and determination. Uh, before the NFL, David was a standout at the University of Idaho. Uh, David is now the owner of the Performance Vault in Dallas, Texas, where he trains both professional and adaptive athletes athletes through the Adaptive Training Foundation, and today we're going to talk about some of the obstacles that he faced during his football career, as well as his transition to life after sports. Um, so David, can you start talking about um, kind of what injuries you suffered from during your athletic career? Yeah, well, as you know, football, it's a 100% guarantee that at some point uh, you're going to be on the injured list. I mean, yep. whether that's something that is uh, a true injured reserve list where you're going to miss time playing. Uh, or if it's just a ding that you have to overcome before the next game. Um, you know, so for me, uh, really the the traumatic one or the kind of catastrophic one that ended up being the last play I played in the NFL was in 2011 playing for the Seahawks. I was covering a punt, and I got shoved in the back. Redskins player gave me a nice little boost, Clip. and I landed yeah. hard on my elbow, and it just it blew everything in the shoulder. Um, not knowing at the time that would be my last time on the gridiron at an NFL stadium, but uh, that was really what kind of sent this, this spiral into effect. I mean, I think that there was some, some, some signs that my identity was completely wrapped up in football. And, and at some level, Kevin, it had to be. You know, as you know, I mean, as you compete at a high level, the margin uh, between talent gets so small that 
you know, you have to have a tunnel vision to have success and even to survive. And so for me, it was, you know, I didn't know who David was without football. And that, that created a very big identity crisis. Yeah. It's interesting that you, you say that, um, because, you know, it, it, when you have this transition to life after sports, it'd be a lot easier if you had another purpose to go to. But like you said, to make it to an elite level like you achieved and that most people don't, you have to have this kind of, you know, laser focus on on the goal or the task at hand. So that's 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 interesting. Um, yeah. You know, just to add one last thing on that, I think I felt like a shark in the water that if I, I stopped swimming, I was going to get eaten. And you know, again, uh, becoming a lead in your craft, working your whole life to that, and then suddenly having to think about what you're going to do out in the real world, right? I mean, that paralyzed me with fear. It's like I, I it covered two in my understanding of his own defense. That doesn't transfer to corporate America right. uh, as much as I wish it, it could. And some of the things that I did, you know, at the time it was like traumatic brain injuries, uh, a number of significant concussions that caused me to lose time. And then a variety of other injuries. It's like, man, I, I bled, I, I sweat, I, all the tears that I endured going through this game that I loved to think about going and doing something that you didn't have to put your soul into. It scared me. Right. That's, that's, that's awesome. Um, so what was like the rehab process like for that shoulder injury? Were you still trying to make it back to the NFL? I was at the time, you know, I, I think what the injury did was magnify a deeper, uh, deeper rooted issue in me. And uh, as much as there was pain and that what started with prescriptions ultimately manifests itself in a wicked pain pill addiction. And at times, you know, it was to not have to think about what was next uh, or the fact that I wasn't invincible. Um, but really it began to be a habit that formed that I just had to take them not to be sick because of the physical symptoms of withdrawal. And it wasn't long until I was spending two, $3,000 a week. And that was just to, to have enough to get by. Um, and so uh, there's sort of two ways to look at the, that word rehab. One was, and I finished the 2011 season with the Seahawks. I checked myself into a detox unit. I lost 34 pounds, had two seizures. I literally couldn't stand uh, at one point on my own. And that's they, all from the drugs? It is from the, it was from the drugs, yeah. And this is all... You know, weeks prior, I was playing in front of 80,000 people inside CenturyLink Stadium for the Seahawks. Um, and so that fall was great. But again, I, and I'll talk a lot about this, probably in a little bit, I'll talk more about pain. But pain is, in my mind, the greatest motivator. And pain, not necessarily pain, bad pain, good pain, purposeful pain, you know, uh, pain for purpose, that can be something that can redirect your life into a place of positivity. And so the first thing I did was I asked for help because I was struggling with addiction. And as I rehabilitated my mind, along with my body, I went through some surgeries, um, stayed clean, and I started to look at, at who is David without football? What, what, who is my identity? What are the attributes that made David who I was that made me a great football player that, that could actually transfer into everyday life? And um, once I started to focus on those things, I was also rehabilitating my body, and I was seeing massive results and progress in, in what I was doing physically. So I took that year and, and I was ready to go. NFL teams were calling and suddenly something had shifted. I got a call from an NFL team to return to the field and that, that enthusiasm, the zeal in my heart was gone. And it scared me a little bit at first, like, wait a second, I've been training all this time to get back, but now suddenly it's different. But I had discernment and I knew that it was time to close that chapter of my life, even though I had snaps left. Um, I, I felt I felt comfortable. I felt, I felt like I was making the right decision to, to move on. 
And uh, that was really what opened the door to really how I could use my gifts to match someone's needs. That's awesome. So did you just like wake up one morning and kind of like feel this way or was it, you know, was it because you asked for help and, you know, it was someone that you, you talked with or... You know, I think it was when I got that call, uh, my coach, one of my former coaches was with the Saints at the time, and he called to bring me in. And I just didn't feel the excitement in my heart, and I knew. You know, football is not a game that you can have one foot in, one foot out, not at, not yeah, at that level. Yeah, you all in, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I, it was like, all right, well, there's my clarity. And, um, you know, I text my agent. I told him, I think it's time for me to retire. I don't know what my next calling is. but And at the time, I almost, I really thought it was coaching or scouting. It was just kind of a natural path. But um, I've always loved the gym. You know, it's been my sanctuary because I love the, the idea of taking potential and, and through hard work, you can foster success um, you know, and overcome those that may be more talented than you through what uh, you can do to better yourself daily. Right. And um, you know, it, just, it felt like this huge tug on my heart to start a gym and to hopefully help expedite success for athletes based on the knowledge that I had learned in human performance. That's funny you say that because a lot of the athletes that I – interview they say the same thing that they almost enjoy the training you know and preparing for the the actual sport itself than actually playing the sport itself um so that's pretty funny before we we move on um was it hard to ask for help um just being an athlete and being a a male and you know in this like kind of culture of toughness when you were struggling with that uh painkiller addiction yeah definitely i had a great coach uh, he was an assistant linebacker coach, and he had gone through. I actually played against him, uh, Jeff Ulbrich. He's coaching at UCLA now, but he was with the Niners when I first got in the league. We battled against each other when I was with the Rams, and then he ended up becoming my coach in Seattle. And, you know, during stretch every day, he'd walk by me and say, hey, when you're ready to talk, let's do it. And I'd kind of look at him like, what are you talking about, man? I tried to play it off like, what are you even saying? But he, he knew, right? He could see it in my eyes. He could, I think he just understood because he'd seen it in himself. And, um, you know, that made it a little bit easier to own. I think I never lost my ability to be rigorously honest with myself, and that was a benefit. Um, you know, I tried to deny it on the surface, but at my core, I realized yeah, that you knew. I needed help. And so, again, I think the first step that I'd encourage anybody that's struggling with addiction is to tell on yourself. You know, go to someone and, and, and open your mouth because if you let it fester between your left ear and your right ear, um, it'll, it'll manifest itself in a way that is cunning and will use your best attributes against you. To me, if you're bold and you go out and you just speak it out into existence, one, it'll loosen its grip, but it'll also allow you to uh, make the first step toward, toward recovery. That's awesome. Um, speaking of toughness and on the topic of toughness, what is your definition of toughness? And was it different when you played, you know, in high school, college, NFL, and you know, compared to today, or is it still the same definition? Yeah, I think it's changed. I think, you know, I'm a father now too, and so I'm always mindful of what I'm teaching my girls, not so much through what I speak, but how I'm emulating what I want them to learn about words like toughness and bravery and courage. And um, a really wise mentor of mine once told me, you can be comfortable or you can be brave, but you can't be both. Um, at least not at the same time. And right. I think that, you know, tough, that's toughness to me. It, it's, it's, you know, knowing that uncertainty lies around the corner um, or whatever hand that you're dealt, it may be an adverse one, but staring right back at it and deciding to step toward it, not back away. Um, right. You know, that, that, that's it. That's it for me. It's, it's, it's a mindset and, and toughness can be 
exported in different ways uh, on different arenas in sport or in just, you know, whatever someone faces on a daily basis. I mean, there's everyone faces a mountain and you can't marginalize the, the steepness or, or the, you know, the peak of that mountain. But I think that people that are tough just don't worry about how far or how long the climb is going to be. I think they just worry about putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, that that's awesome. I know, like, I grew up always thinking that toughness was like playing injured or lifting the heaviest weight or hitting home runs or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But I literally just realized like two weeks ago that that's like not tough at all. Like that doesn't make anyone tough. Um, yeah, but- I think toughness toughness is less about the results or the outcome and everything about the journey and the resilience and the courage that it takes to step up and fail, step up and fail. And the more that you fail forward, eventually you come out successful. That's awesome. Uh, so for you, you played, obviously, I'm sure you played injured and stuff like that um, throughout your career. So like, where does the line, you know, lay between playing injured and putting yourself like in and your career at risk, you know, like where's the risk benefit line? Yeah, it's relative to each person. You know, I, I figured that I was going to die on a football field. I figured I would literally have to be broken to the point where they'd have to just, just pull me off on a stretcher. I mean, and that's basically what happened to me. So, <laughs> Right, right. And there's, yeah. you know, and that, that to some people, um, you know, that, that's their mindset. And I think, you know, that there's a level of valor in that. Um, but it, at different times, I think people can see with clarity their next step. And for me... Um, you know, I had, I had achieved success of playing in the NFL. Um, but that mindset, it really was, it was an empty success. It didn't have meaning because I was in, I was, it was just about David. It wasn't that I didn't care about people while I played, but it was, I had such a focus on, you know, David becoming the best David could be so that David could stick around so that David could start so that David could excel. And, you know, it's empty success is like lust, right? It's good to the touch, but it's never enough. And to me, you know, when people can tap into their why, because if you have the wrong why, winning will feel like losing. That's what my NFL career offered me. Now, it did offer me a platform now to be able to, to speak to people to hopefully have a platform to change people's lives and transform them. But really, (laughs) my most important work, though, is, is today. And it'll be tomorrow. Because I know that, you know, I was given certain gifts to help people to achieve and to believe in themselves and to really defy what once defined them. Yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. So how did you, like, take care of your body in the NFL? Or, like, to make it that far, obviously, you had to stay healthy, you know? So yeah. what did you, was it just your training? Was it what you ate or a combination of both? Yeah, I think it's got to look at every phase, uh, you know, both in training and recovery. We did, you know, cutting edge things of, of floating tanks and cryotherapy and, and hydro pools. We do um, some of the hyperbaric stuff for recovery, try to eat as clean as possible. Um, in training, you know, really my mentor, Gavin McMillan out of Sports Science Lab in California, he changed kind of the paradigm that I viewed training. And, and he really has stemmed from Yuri Verkashansky's Russian-based plyometric research, which really is about less about strength, especially absolute strength and size, and more about uh, rate of force production. And so what that really means is, um, you know, how are we limiting the stress on the body of training, uh, keeping elasticity so that we can cause massive amounts of force in really, really small amounts of time? And really limiting the potential of the whole system 
uh, to be hurt. And I, again, like we don't, at my gym, you won't see anybody back squatting. We don't axial load the spine directly. Uh, we rarely are loaded in our heels because you're just not doing that in sport. You may see someone that's a power lifter an Olympic weightlifter doing those things, but we're just mindful of risk reward because ultimately the athlete doesn't win games inside the weight room, even though a high school strength coach will tell you, this is where games are won. Right. No, this is, that, that's where your team galvanizes its unity, okay, in sweating together and working through this stuff. But if you're not smart about the way that you train inside the gym, you're just opening the door to injury. And, um, you know, I was at the biggest and strongest of my career uh, when I met Gavin. This is a couple years into my time in the NFL. And I could no longer dunk. I was squatting more than I ever had. I was quote unquote more powerful, but it freaked me out because as a white guy in the NFL, it's like my holy grail, right? I got to be able (laughs) to dunk. And, um, you know, three weeks into his program, we didn't lift anything over 15 pounds. We did plyometrics based on rhythm and timing and coordination. We did these isokinetic machines that only have concentric resistance, none of the negative load, the the eccentric load like a typical barbell would. And what he gave me back was elasticity. Three weeks into that program, I went out in the gym, I jumped off of two feet and dunked with two hands. So it wasn't that I needed to go lift more heavy things. It was about getting things to turn on and turn off in the proper sequence that gave me the best edge to compete in sport. That's super interesting because I come from like a, I found like CrossFit after I couldn't play sports anymore. And Mm -hmm. I mean, CrossFit's all barbell stuff. And, you know, I ended up hurting my knee because I was just squatting too heavy too much, you know, and I just couldn't take it. So that's like, it's just interesting to to hear that kind of perspective. I like that. Well, I love, Um, I love what CrossFit's done from a community perspective. And again, they've, they've taken an Olympic based program and, and created interval system training that, that, is, is great for a group uh, dynamic. For what we do in an individual standpoint, we want to look at inefficiencies and imbalances and, and, and improve the sum of the entire system, um, not just tr- tracking you know, how many reps you can do. I, I, to me, it's about, does this apply to what you do on the football field or on the basketball court? Because if it doesn't, you're burning calories that don't matter. You can't make a 25th hour in a day the only way to, to really do that is to train the way that you play. And if it directly correlates, then we touch it. If not, it, it's a waste of time. And we'll pull from certain systems and gymnastics and certain things um, you know, to, to comprehensively touch whatever the body needs for that athlete to go out and, and achieve. But man, it's, it's, it's not rocket scientists. If, if, if you can explain it to a 10-year-old kid with a crayon and it makes sense, we'll stick to it. If it becomes something that is periodized in a way that, you know, only a sports science professor would understand, I think we're getting a little bit too exotic. Yeah, I I like that. I think, I mean, I love CrossFit too. It's got so many great uh, attributes, um, but they could definitely learn from something like like we just talked about. Um, All right, before we get into your life after football, um, can you just talk about some of the head injuries that you suffered from and what like the symptoms were and stuff like that, just because it is the Heads and Tails podcast after all? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I have... Thickening of the frontal cortex and a lesion over the left side of my brain. I get my neurological scans every year, uh, MRIs with contrast to, to show if those things are, you know, improving or deteriorating. Uh, there's some areas of the brain that are lacking blood flow, i.e. oxygen trans- transportation to, and, and I think, you know, that doesn't necessarily scare me. I never saw the movie Concussion uh, just because I haven't had time. I'm open to watching it. My wife gets pretty worried about those things. I had seven recorded concussions that I either got knocked out, 
or I lost time on the field as a result. Uh, one of which I remember we played the Green Bay Packers and um, after the game, actually midway through the fourth quarter, I just, I started asking weird questions on the field. I wasn't knocked out, but it was obvious that something in my bell was wrong. And I didn't remember anything from the game. I, I barely remembered walking out of the tunnel for the start of the game. Wow. And I actually, I played a great game, which maybe says something about it. <laughs> says something about <laughs> if I kid my head out of it. Um, but, it, you know, those were, that, that took me two or three weeks where I could maybe remember who I talked to, but I couldn't have any idea what we talked about. And man, that's a scary reality. As you well know, I mean, you're just, you know, you're second guessing yourself. And I think that similar to addiction, it's scary to open up your mouth when those things are happening because you don't want to feel like the athlete who has a chink in his armor. Right. You, know, you, you want to feel whole and athletes do a tremendous uh, job of compensating to overcome certain things and traumatic brain injury being one of them. I think that it's, 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 it's in their own best interest to make sure that they seek counsel because, you know, you uh, evaluating yourself and your brain, your cognitive abilities, that's, that's a very bad choice when you've been impaired. That's awesome. So for a young high school kid, you know, what, what would your advice be when he, you know, gets a, his bell rung, quote unquote? Well, first is to get your parents out of it. Um, parents are just going to cause a mess uh, of, of weighing in on certain things. Now, a mindful parent that allows a doctor and a, neuro, a, you know, a neurologist to lead, that's fine. Um, but, you know, everybody wants to be an MD based on the Internet. And I think that's a really poor judgment choice for a young yeah. athlete is to A, go to the web and B, to go to your parents and let your parents. I think, you know, seeking medical help from your trainer, uh, maybe your team has a doctor or your local physician has got to be the first step. Of course, having a baseline of impact testing and then not buying in or conforming to the pressures around you. Uh, you, you have your whole life. And even though that playoff game or that championship game seems to mean the world um your brain you only have one and as plastic as it is if uh you make a wrong decision it's gonna lead you to a path that you may not recover from and so i would encourage them first to to seek help uh and and again everyone wants to go to their first doctor as as the expert but you know if you get hail damage on your house and you get seven quotes to find the, the one you feel comfortable with at the best price, why don't you do that with a doctor too? Right. You know, because a lot of people just, oh, this guy was supposedly worked with the college team or the pro team. He must be the best. Well, do, do yourself a favor. Get multiple opinions. Educate yourself through the right type of information that the doctor can help steward your way. And then um, realize that, you know, you don't have to be on the field, uh, you know, to live your life. And if that's the case and you have to walk away, there's going to be other ways that you can export what made you great in your sport uh, in your real life. And that's a perfect transition into your transition to life after sports. So <laughs> um, can you talk about, you know, how you got the idea for, um, to, for starting the Adaptive Athlete Foundation? Yeah. I walked up to quadruple amputee, Staff Sergeant Travis Mills, man, and I boldly asked him when was the last time he worked out. I, you know, I, I tend not to have a big filter. I think that our culture today is hamstringed by a level of political correctness. Now, ask most people that are handicapped, uh, if you walked up to them and just asked them, hey, man, like, what's your disability? They'd probably love that more than uh, them, you know, you staring out of the corner of your eye or you patronizing them by dancing around it. Like, right. I just think that 
to have a real conversation with people that are different than you. You walk up, you point out the differences and you have a conversation about it. It doesn't have to be in a way that seems combative or, right. uh, you know, singles out to anything. I just, I challenged him to come and work out with me. He took a chance and I paused to think about, man, not just veterans, but all people. There's over 10 million Americans with a physical disability. And at some level when cash or insurance is run out in the rehabilitative process, they don't have a place to go and, and compete to become a better version of themselves physically. Um, and, and then break through having breakthroughs mentally. Um, that's what I saw at Travis experience. And then it was just a, a natural understanding to go, man, there must be a bigger void for all people uh, that are suffering with physical impairment. Yeah. Um, it, one of the things in your videos that I saw was um, that you learned from, or no, that was like one of your mantras is that don't let what you can't do affect what you can do. And yeah. I think that's what, you know, athletes and, you know, uh, adaptive athletes, you know, can, can learn from. Um, so how, so you, you train both the, you know, veterans and adaptive athletes and also, you know, elite level athletes. So how are they similar? And then also how are they different? Yeah. Well, Bill Bowerman once said that if you have a, a, a human body, you're an athlete. Now I, I wholeheartedly believe that. And, and you may not want to call yourself an athlete if you don't compete in sport, but I think that if you train like an athlete comprehensively, right, train movements, not muscles, not isolating certain things, sometimes like they do in rehab or bodybuilding, um, I think that, you know, you're going to learn about your system and you're going to experience certain breakthroughs to hopefully go out and test yourself. I mean, you get this body and what an incredible thing it is to go out and see how far you can push it. I mean, that to me is, is what living is all about. You know, I have a really wise friend, commented, or Marine. He says that physical pain will, rem rem will remind you that you're alive, but mental pain will test your will to stay that way. And so, you know, the beauty is our pro athletes, they schedule their times to train alongside these adaptive athletes. And then most of the time, pro athletes, they're a little entitled. You know, they've been offered the best of X, Y, and Z, like I told you earlier, in training and recovery and food. And, um, you know, when, when the adaptive athlete, you know, is, is getting onto a machine, after, you know, one of my NFL studs, it's cool to watch them kind of, you know, get empowered and their chest to puff out a little bit and they do their set and then the pro athlete gets back on it. And it's just, it's community done well. So, you know, whether you're missing arms or legs or you're a paraplegic and you can't move them, to me, you can still compete physically in the gym to figure out what you can do outside of the walls and have fun doing it. Not to mention a quality of life impact that, you know, if it takes you initially five minutes to get down out of a wheelchair as a paraplegic, lay flat, get back into it. Well, if your house is on fire, that won't cut it, right? Right, right. I mean, that, that's a serious issue. So once we battle to get you under 20 or 30 seconds, now you have a fighting chance to, uh, to live and to have an impact on your life that if you fall out of your chair, if you need to help a friend, you can. And that's, um, you know, that's the bigger purpose uh, amidst, you know, trying to make the Paralympics or run an Ironman or something like that. That's awesome. And then like in all the videos, uh, you know, that were made on your gym and on your story, the, your community, you know, is, is so obvious when you watch it and how powerful the community at your gym is and how it, you know, it really helps these athletes, you know, get, yeah. get better and improve their quality of life. Um, yeah. There's no headphones at the gym. There's no mirrors. Uh, you know, you're expected to be present. I had to talk to one of our winter Olympians. I said, Hey, look, I don't need you to train here. She kind of looked at me like, what? 
<laughs> I said, look, you're over here on your headphones just completely worried about you and your success. I said, watch what will happen when, you know, you realize that you can be talking to someone next to you without legs and you're going to inspire them and they're going to inspire you. And together, you guys individually will be better and collectively, uh, you guys are going to find a deeper level of, of resilience and commitment and, and, and cheerlead each other to success. And that's, I think that's what you see on the videos that really resonates with people too, is there's people that are pushing it and they're, they're suffering in pain because the workouts are hard, but they're smiling on their face because, you know, the person to the right and the left, like they were in the service is, is cheering for them or has their back. Right. That's awesome. Um, so what have been the greatest lessons that you've learned from working with these adaptive athletes? I know in one of your videos, you talked about the idea of uh, surrendering to win. I'd love to hear like what, what that means to you. Yeah. I don't trust an unbroken person. I believe those that are willing to share their scars are proof that they're willing to move beyond them. You know, if you pretend to have it all put together and to be perfect, I'm going to move away from you as far, far away as I can. Um, I think that there's something honest and earnest about someone who says, hey, uh, you know, I don't have it all put together and I, like you, um, you know, need to come with this humble mentality that I have something to learn. Um, But at the same time that I can also help expedite suffering of other people based on what I've endured. And I think that happens when people realize gratitude. They become you know, they become gracious for things in their life that they may have begged God to remove at the time. You know, I'm sure Kevin, like you, I mean, I have had moments where it just seemed like, God, why is this happening to me? Yep. Um, but you know what? Life happens for you, not to you. And when that mindset shifts, you, you can take the excuses of why not and make them the reasons of why. It may look different. It may not be the same expectation that you drew up in your mind, but it's only when people feel helpless or hopeless to change a scenario that they suffer. And this, these, the Adaptive Training Foundation athletes, they have gulped pain in copious amounts, in amounts that most people could never imagine or fathom. Um, but they no longer suffer, you know? And, and I think there's a battle going on between our instincts, you know, our gut instincts, our stomach, I think, our, uh, and our brain, our intellect. I think you've got two brains, right? You've got the brain up in your head, that takes reason and logic and it rationalizes certain thoughts. And then you've got your gut instincts, right? Your intuition. And to me, the gut instinct, when I, when I became the David that I am today, I've got a great awareness of where my gut is calling me to go. And a lot of times it's, it's scary. And it, I get a little bit afraid because it'll tell me to do something. I'm like, Oh man, I don't have time, right? This isn't convenient. Uh, this isn't what I planned today. But if I feel called, I now listen to it. And and back when I was in the league and I was using and abusing, I I, I had completely cut off. I had severed my ability to listen to my gut. And now I think I use my gut first and then I use my head to go, all right, is this something that I, that I, I feel called to do that's going to offer the best version of David to, to come forth. And rather than my head saying, Hey David, this is, this is about you. You know, you don't have time. They're going to figure it out themselves. Um, you know, if somebody else will answer the call, stop passing the buck to someone else and realize that, you know, you have some certain gifts, maybe even the pain that you've endured. Maybe you're someone that was abused as a kid. You know, maybe you were, um, you know, maybe you were bullied as a kid. 
Think about what it was that you hated to endure that now you can take and go out and avoid, help to avoid the suffering of someone else. That to me is the only purpose of life. You're born into this world with nothing, you die with nothing. So the only real conclusion I have as an old meathead football player is to give as much of yourself during the time you have. Yeah, man, you're, and you're definitely doing it. And I can really relate to that because like my transition to life after sports is the whole reason why I started this podcast because it freaking sucked. And yeah. I, I felt like there was no outlet out there for, you know, athletes like you and athletes like, you know, everyone's career ends at some point. So I feel like I'm trying to build a platform yeah. to, to, to make it easier for everyone. Um, well, you're doing right. it, man. You're doing it. Thanks. Uh, all right. So we'll, we'll start to wrap things up a little bit here. Um, so what, what's it like for you to watch a football game now on TV? It's different, man. It's way different. I think at some level, if I'm honest, I think I've lost a little bit of the joy in just sport at a very pure level. Um, you know, I still root for my buddies that are still playing and, you know, the teams I played for, but it's hard to watch the game and not analyze what they're doing on the field and how I would do it. It just it becomes programmed in you and innate to you know basically be breaking down film while you're trying to watch it as 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 a consumer again or as a civilian again. Right. Um, but I, I still love the game. I'm so busy that I rarely get time to really sit down. And I just what I love most is just what sport teaches us. And you know, yeah, absolutely, man. There's stuff in this country right now that there's injustice. Um, but to me, the flag represents an ideal. And albeit one that we fall short of every day, but it's something that we strive for. And, and, and America, to me, is, is a country that believes in progress. Um, and it believes in us making sure that we're leaving a better place for tomorrow, you know, for, for those that are coming after us. And what, what I love about sport, you know, there's a level of hating each other in the name of sport, right? Like, right. Uh, you have certain towns that hate each other because of it. But when something happens to America as a whole, people rally around sport. I mean, you know, watching how invested the fans were last night during the World Series, both on the Cleveland and Chicago side, was incredible. Now, imagine if we got that passionate about our country and our ability to be a hope dealer on a daily basis. Use your gifts to match someone's needs right in front of you. I mean. To me, football players, pro athletes as a whole, athletes as a whole, because of the platform sport offers them, have this ability to inspire people through a courageous journey of, of overcoming injuries, of overcoming you know, poverty, of giving back because you know, somehow we celebrate sport. And that's what I think is, is you know, my greatest calling now is to show hopefully other athletes that you know, one, your identity isn't solely in your sport, and two, you know, the things that made you great at your sport, you can go out and do in the world to make an impact that's even more vast and you can touch even more lives than what you did during a, you know, a touchdown uh, catch or a, a touchdown throw. Yeah, that, that, that's an awesome message uh, for, for the audience. Um, so, David, where can people find you? Like your website, social media, all that stuff? Yeah, they can search my name, David Vibora. Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and, and davidvibora.com. But I'd encourage you to go to Team atf.org uh, that's the adaptive training foundation website teamatf.org and watch some of the videos i mean you referred to a few of them earlier i dare you uh to not be inspired and and not to you know not to have a way of looking at yourself differently because 
it's just, you'll catch the bug, man. It's, it's contagious and our social media adaptive training foundation is on all the social platforms. You can go there for your daily dose of awesomeness and inspiration and uh, really kind of step into our story, share the story, you know, connect with certain athletes, ask them questions. You may find somebody that's dealt or dealing with something similar to you. And that's where uh, we can pool uh, what we know around ways to help each other and resources to help each other. David, awesome, man. I'm going to put all that up in the show notes for so it's easy for everyone to, to find all the links. Um, and I, I appreciate you coming on. Kevin, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for what you do and the way that you use your reach to uh, point to great causes like the Adaptive Training Foundation.